I'm Dr. Amy Robbins, and welcome to Life, Death, and the Space Between podcast. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist and medium, and here we explore life, death, consciousness, and what it all means. So how I find guests for the show is, you know, it sort of ebbs and flows. Sometimes people reach out to me. Sometimes I reach out to people. I saw this book come across my Instagram feed, The Awakened Brain. It wasn't out yet. I think it was last week and it just got released. And I thought I need to have this woman on my podcast. So just to give you all a little background, Lisa Miller, PhD, is the New York Times bestselling author of The Spiritual Child and a professor in the clinical psychology program at the Teachers College at Columbia University. She's the founder and director of the Spiritual Mind-Body Institute, the first Ivy League graduate program and research institute in spirituality and psychology and has held over a decade of joint appointments in the Department of Psychiatry at Columbia University Medical School. Her innovative research has been published in more than 100 peer review articles in leading journals, including Cerebral Cortex, who knew there was a journal called Cerebral Cortex. (laughs) Um, I probably should, but I don't. The American Journal of Psychiatry, the Journal of American Academy of Child and Adolescent Psychiatry. Dr. Miller is the editor of the Oxford University Press Handbook of Psychology and Spirituality, founding co-editor-in-chief of the APA journal Spirituality in Clinical Practice, and an elected fellow of the American Psychological Association, and two-time president of the APA Society for Psychology and Spirituality. A graduate of Yale and University of Pennsylvania, where she earned her doctorate under the founder of positive psychology, Martin Seligman. Dr. Miller's new book, The Awakened Brain, was just recently released. Welcome. Dr. Amy, it's such a joy to be here. Thank you. I recorded today's episode with Lisa Miller on August 23rd. But when I was reading the book, one of the things that Lisa talks about in the book is her first experience spiritually awakening, uh, awakening her patients that she was working with and starting to notice that transformations occurred when we worked with people and really treated them as people, not as diagnoses. She was on an inpatient unit. You can read the book. It's an amazing book, The Awakened Brain. But this experience that she had occurred on Yom Kippur. And it seemed only fitting that as I looked at my calendar and we talk about synchronicities and I normally drop a podcast on a Thursday that this year Yom Kippur would fall on a Thursday. So with that, I bring you this incredible episode with Dr. Lisa Miller. So for all of those who are listening live on Fireside, which we are, is how we are recording, we ran into some technical stumbles along the way. And so Dr. Miller was kind enough to be patient with me and work through it. So tell us from a spiritual perspective, what just happened? So it seems to me very evident that time is an active variable. Very often when we agree that we're going to start promptly at X and there's somehow despite A plus B plus C being all lined up and meticulously prepared and everything being all systems go, there's a surprising hiccup 
there's an impasse and it's X plus one and X plus two, and we can't do anything. That is without exception to our benefit. That is the exact type of energetic impasse, the sort of dialogue with the living nature of life, the deep spirit in life that says now is not the time. Time is an active agent. It's a catalyst. Rather, now, Y, Z, A, B is the time. So this moment now, Amy, is our better time for our discussion. Perfect. And we don't, I don't know why. It could be that someone's more ready to hear something or something may come to your mind or my mind now, but might not have earlier. The condensed high pixel information that only over time we could sort of ferret out and untangle with our analytical mind is all at play in the instant. So the best I have found um, to be the, the response is to say, wow, the right time will happen. Well, and what a freeing way to live, right? It's yes. like it, it puts you really into the now. It's like whatever's happening is okay because this isn't the right time. Or, you know, sometimes if I'm in a rush to get somewhere, I think, okay, I'm just going to trust that there's some divine power that is making this harder for me to get there when I need to because there's a reason for that. And what an accurate perception of our relationship to life. Life is like the winds or the river. It is moving. It is full of waves. Life is very, very much alive, very dynamic. So by way of analogy, like a pilot, the pilot doesn't control the weather. The pilot doesn't say, I'd like it to be sunny. Therefore, it should be sunny today. A pilot develops skills in navigation. And that's really our opportunity is to develop our skills in navigation, that we have a beautiful dialogue, a two-way dialogue with life. We don't control life. We don't tell life what to do. But life is very much alive and there's a living relationship. That is using an awakened awareness. We're actually hardwired to be able to use our awakened brain to do exactly what we're doing here and now, which is say, yes, here's the opening in life. Let's go with what's really true. Excuse me. So, so let's back up for a little. And I just want to encourage anybody who hasn't watched your TED Talk yet to watch it. It's on your website. It's so incredible and moving and heartfelt and spiritual and beautiful. So I know we'll probably touch on some of those pieces, but I really want to give a shout out to you going out to, to people Thank going you, out Amy. and watching that. But let's start with how did you get into your journey of spirituality? Because in reading right. your book, I felt like I was almost reading about myself in so Beautiful. many ways. Beautiful. Amy, I'm so glad to hear you say that. The Awakened Brain, my, my book, The Awakened Brain, is actually the culmination of 25 years of research. And equally importantly, interwoven with those 25 years of research, 25 years of life. And I have found that men and women alike, but particularly women, already tend to see life through a spiritual lens. That what, you know, we now have neuroscience, good peer-reviewed neuroscience to say, yes, is a inherent, important part of our brain, the awakened brain, has been well used by women for a very long time. But we tend to use it offline. We tend to be forthcoming about our awareness of synchronicity, that we really most accurately you know, have full lives, bright lives, surprising good lives when we live in dialogue with life, when we don't try to control life, that we count on synchronicity, inner knowing, mystical experience. This is really 
essential for men and women, but women have counted on it. In, in my past, you know, lived decades of life, most women I've known will make an important decision out of a deep inner hunch, their instincts, a transcendent dream, some sort of inescapable synchronicity. They will count on that form of mystical awareness far and above the sort of linear, you know, lists of pros and cons and statistics of what your odds are. Women really know to use our awakened awareness. But what I hope the science and the awakened brain does for us is say that in the realm of the most hard-nosed empirical scientific model, in the realm of what was really, honestly, a 20th century model of hardcore, radical, scientific positivism, materialism, what's real you can touch, what real you can see. Well, science now squarely in that corner, MRI studies, genotyping studies, long-term clinical core studies, all say that this deep form of awareness, our awakened awareness, the neuro-docking station of transcendent spiritual experience, A, is real, B, is in our birthright, and C, if we build it, is the foundation for greater health, greater recovery and renewal in times of suffering like now, greater relationships, and also life becomes far less imprisoned and depressing and lonely by, I wish I'd had this, I should have gotten that. Boy, you know, COVID really ruined my plans, right? And if we are feeling depressed or if someone we love is depressed, we can know that we're not trapped, that not only is there hope, but above and beyond, there is a far more expansive, far more shining, radiant way of living that is ours. And it is actually even potentiated through suffering that we can have this breakthrough to a much more spiritually connected, awakened life. So this is really who we are. Women have known it a long time. Now we have science that says, you know, in the eyes of mainstream radical materialism and empiricism and medicine, this is real, this is true, we can build it and we actually need to in order to be whole and function and thrive. We almost don't have a choice. Well, and can you speak to what you found in your research about how spirituality mitigates depression? You talk about them being the same, a side, the same side of a coin. Um, and I yes. also want to tack on to that. Are there people doing research on other mental illness like anxiety? Is it the same? Does it have the same mitigating effect? Great. So, Amy, that is perhaps one of the most relevant findings to our moment now, right? This sort of pandemic where half of Americans say that we are depressed. And it turns out that a strong personal spirituality, what I'm calling an awakened seat of awareness, daily life is looked at through a spiritual lens, right? Nature is a sacred home. Relationships are spiritual events. I feel God's presence or my higher power or the guidance from the universe in and out daily life that the switch is always on for seeing the sacred presence. That way of living, people who say my personal spirituality is highly important to me are 80% less likely to become addicted using DSM criteria of substance abuse and addiction. 60% less likely to have major depression, not just moments of depression or developmental depressions, but the pothole of major depression. And even between 50 and 80% less likely to take our own lives, suicide, which is right now young adults are more likely, as you know well, to die by suicide than by car accident in high school. The number one cause of death, much more so than any virus, is suicide in young adults. 
So this is this is urgent. And yeah. the reason young people don't have access to their awakened awareness is because center field education, center field culture has really built up the biceps of achieving awareness, but left lay fallow the triceps. We don't have awakened awareness. We could, it's ours, it's right there. It's a quarter inch under the surface and it's all of ours. It's not just, you know, the most pious or the most, the greatest meditators. We all have this. So this is our chance to reboot and move through depression to a deeper understanding of life, to really see the promise that's much more expansive and much more shining than what we even thought was possible. So can you speak to the awakened awareness and achieving awareness and how, and you talk about integration really being the key to this puzzle in a lot of ways. So most of our schooling and the majority of our professional discussions revolve around achieving awareness, which is the narrow execution of our plans. You know, let's think strategically, let's think tactically, which is very important. It's absolutely essential in our lives, but it is not comprehensive. It is not 100% of how life is built. So we learn, for instance, in the classroom, in the boardroom, in the newsroom to talk in terms of, you know, today we're going to line up, we're going to make a plan, and we're going to go through the red door. That is our plan for today. Execution, tactics, strategic. Well, that works, you know, much of the time, but every so often the red door is blocked. And A plus, you know, for instance, our start time, beautifully planned, couldn't have been done more elegantly, right? Mm -hmm. And what I call sort of the internet fairy, right? But it's really the cosmic force says hard stop. So there's something about now versus then, time being an active ingredient that's important. That We're not living on an inert stage. We don't trample around like players on a, you know, wood stage. We instead are living in dialogue with a living universe. We are living in dialogue with a spirit in and through us, one another in life that is very much alive, loving, and guiding. We are built to be able to perceive that presence, the loving, guiding presence through which we are loved, held, guided, and never alone. We are built to see that, to perceive it, not just believe in it or philosophize about it, but see it in the lived moments of our lives through the use of specific neural circuits in our brain, of which I speak as the awakened brain. But I can characterize them. We have, as components of the awakened brain, we have the parietal, which puts in and out hard boundaries that lets us know that if she has her story and he has his, and she lives in California and he lives in New York, but we are all part of one deep common experience, one human family of life. There's a unitive oneness that goes hand in hand with the wonderful, beautiful diversity. We are different and we are one. Both are true. The parallel toggles puts in and out our boundaries. That means that in a moment of awakened awareness, I feel deeply connected with you while at the same time appreciating the unique gift that you have to bring. Mm -hmm. Both are true. The second dimension of the awakened brain is that just as we're as little tiny children, as babies, we're held and loved in our parents' arms. So too, the bonding network is engaged and we are aware, we perceive how life itself holds us, that we are buoyant, that we don't, things don't shatter, that we are absolutely held. The next dimension of the awakened brain is one of great innovation and creativity. We go from a top-down, got to get out the red door, achieving awareness, really a bowling alley purview. That's it. I see the plan. The plan at all costs, and otherwise, 
there are not many options. A total attachment to one plan. From the dorsal to the ventral, bottom-up attention network. And when we do that, suddenly there's a broad range of information. There's so much more to see. There's so much more to know. And most people claim that the right answer pops. The direction for them opens. So through these forms of awareness, we see, feel, and know that we are loved, guided, held, and never alone. Now, the fourth and only one of the four is shared with mindfulness, which is in order to really have crossed the threshold into spiritual awakening, awakened awareness, we need to be present. And one way to do that is through mindfulness, another is through a walk in nature, centering. But in order to disengage the default mode network, in order to stop worried about, did the check clear and why did he say that to me and did I make the right answer? But let that go, be present, align with the force, the spirit through life, and all else boots up the awakened brain. So at what point does this get turned off for us? Because we must start with it fully ready to engage. And then, you know, I think you talk about the achieving brain and, and as a culture, we're so achievement driven. It's like, how do we, how do we get out of this horrible cycle that we've created as a society that what matters is achieve, achieve, achieve and not be, be, be. Yes. Right. Do, 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 as opposed to being, and being is of course the, awakened perspective, the awakened awareness is a receptive form of knowing where we catch in our catcher's inspiration. We catch the thought we would never otherwise have had or the creative solution or the innovative direction for our business or our families or our own personal growth. Mm -hmm. It is the quantum leap that is being given to us through the loving guiding presence, the consciousness field, God, the hand, the spirit. Well, I could walk right by that if I'm not paying any attention or if I get a glimpse, a tiny hit, but ignore it. I don't treat intuition as hard knowing. It's extremely important that when we have a gut instinct, when we have a flash, when a memory or a vision or a dream comes or there's a synchronicity, that we pause and say, wow, that was a gift. What say you, synchronicity? What say you, dream? Let it open up and speak to us. And in that way, we engage the dialogue with the consciousness field, with spirit, the hand, the presence. So you're absolutely right. How did we go so wrong? Well, I think in school, um, there's about 98% of our time spent in achieving awareness. If I'm asked, what is the answer, Lisa? And I say, well, the answer is seven. How do you know that? Point on the page where you know that. The idea that it just popped in my mind or I had a dream last night, seven, 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 or, you know, there, there's only one answer and it's the discursive linear material answer. Now that's one answer and that's a form of knowing and it's important. I use it every day as a scientist, but it is not by itself sufficient to answer big questions. We are knowers in many forms and we need the empiricist and scientist and we need at our table of awareness, the logician, but equally we need the intuitive, we need the mystic, we need all forms of human knowing, all of which we are hardwired to have and use. But what is at our fingertips, what we must choose to engage is to allow our different forms of knowing to speak with one another, to ask a question of my head, but get the answer with my heart. My earphone fell out. <laughs> can you hear me like this? I can hear you perfectly. You can hear me. You can hear me with one earphone. Good. Okay. So can I ask a question 
of my head, you know, where do I need to go? Do I really want to take this job? Do I really want to marry him? You know, big questions. Um, and instead of hammering out my list for the 10th time, pros and cons and spinning in cycles in the default mode network, allow inspiration to bring forth clarity. Suddenly I had a dream. Suddenly I just knew in my gut. These are how the big decisions need to be made. And I'm talking about personal life decisions, but equally I'm talking about decisions in the boardroom, decisions with foreign policy. If we use just a tiny little splintered shard of our brain, we will not make the best decision, the awakened decision that involves both awakened and achieving awareness, different forms of knowing, toggling back and forth, informing each other. That is a good decision. People who live that way, literally have myelinated tracks, paved highways between the different regions of their brain. They have what is in the vision of neuroscience, a better brain because they avail themselves of all regions of the brain. The awakened decision that integrates intuition, empiricism, logic, mystical awareness is a better decision. It's win-win, it's more ethical and more pragmatic. And it is something more innovative than looking over the shoulder of yesterday with yesterday's knowledge I could have derived. It has condensed high pixel information. So how do people learn to trust that? Because I think a lot of times people say, well, I had a gut instinct. I shouldn't have done that. Or I shouldn't have married that person. Or I shouldn't have taken that job. But I, I knew all along. Right. I knew all along. Right. Right. So how do we help people to trust that inner knowing more, to, to, to know that it is maybe divine or intuition, whatever you want to call it, but that it is legitimate and that it matters? And that it is going to bring them a far more expansive, far more bright and meaningful life. It is a much more inspired life. Not only do we get up out of the dark times, there's much more upside. For us, everyone around us and our projects and enterprises and companies and service, you know, everything. Okay. So I think the first piece you just said so beautifully, which is we all have a moment of knowing we should have listened to our gut, right? That we've had moments of direct knowing, of intuition, inspiration. And certainly most of us have at some point heard it and not listened to it to the cost of ourselves and everyone around us, right? So that's hard evidence right there right? The concomitance of knowing and doing otherwise to the loss and, and disappointment. That, that is one opportunity of learning. And yes, it will come back again in the next three days. You will have another gut instinct. That's not a fait accompli. That's not the period at the end of the sentence. That's your learning. And you have tomorrow, probably today, another chance a gut instinct of what's true. I really should turn left. Every day I go right, but something just feels left. You know, or something about the way this animal is looking at me or something about why am I seeing her? I haven't seen her in four years since I first brought my child to nursery school. You know, this type of why now? Why now? What now? When you feel a hit, when you feel a ping, that is a gift. I think it's a sacred gift. But whatever your cosmology about it, that is a high pixel form of knowing that is more right, more true. So to squander that, you know, would be a terrible loss. We've learned that. That was our learning. Instead, why don't we say, wow, okay, I'm going to sit with that now. I'm going to clear literally three minutes and sit with the fact that, you know, I've been very, very worried about my son's next job. I'm just walking through the park and there's a mother holding her little son, laughing their heads off. 
What does that mean? What does that mean? I've been spinning my past few calls with my son have been, do you have your summer internship? What are you going to do? I think what that means is that our relationship is really about joy. Our relationship is about love. And there's a lot of people you can get a career advice from, but I'm the only one in the world who holds them up, looks in his eyes and laughs until we cry. Mm-hmm. So let's hit reset. And next time I call my son, which is in about two minutes, because having just had that synchronicity, it's going to be about pure joy. And sure enough, from that will, of course, come the right job. The outward stuff falls in place when we follow the truth. Well, and it's such a beautiful, I mean, it really is a beautiful way to live. And certainly how I've come to live doesn't mean I don't have moments of like, oh, like that anxiety or that like trying to push through. And then the reminder about, okay, trust, 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 trust. You just have to trust that life is going to lay out for you what you need. Right. Well, I think you're, it's a beautiful image. Are we pushing the wave or are we surfing the wave? Mm-hmm. Right? And if I try to push the wave, I get drowned under. But if I surf the wave and my goal is to ride with the flow of nature, with the current, then I go places I didn't know I was going to go. And it's exciting in ways. I don't know what the next wave is going to hold. So the certainty. In- Uh-oh. Wait, I lost you. For a second. Excuse me. Hello? You're, you're <laughs> good. Good. So the certainty in life does not come from predicting outcome. What I can do in life is develop a stance so that what is certain is that I am in a deep relationship with life and that life is loving and holding, that I'm on a journey, that life is guided, and that I'm never alone. I'm embraced in point. But I don't know where it's going to go. And I don't know what my son's going to do, or for that matter, in three years, what I'm going to do. But I do know that if I open my heart and I live with deep presence and witness, and I decide to treat other people within the direction of the nature of life, that we show up for one another in a way that is loving and guiding and never leaves anyone alone, then we are part of the symphony of life. And the path opens up in, in non-linear, non-discursive ways. It opens up in the realm of miracles and unforeseen opportunities and magnificent surprises. And as you say, Amy, our opportunities to say, wow, that's a surprise. That's a magnificent, unpredicted surprise. What say you? What might this be? Mm-hmm as opposed to dash right by it on my way to the grocery store because I'm five minutes late to pick up the birthday cake. (laughs) Right. And so they're really, so you're, so that's sort of your working definition of spirituality is that you're just in this engagement with the universe at all times. You're present, you're, you're aware, you're um, co-working, co-creating constantly. And that it is shared, right? Exactly as you say, Amy, that is there are two dimensions of lived human spirituality that are absolutely tidal wave game changing for the rest of our lives. It's all over the data. It's over hundreds of studies. The first is to engage our awakened awareness. We are less depressed. We are more able to recover. We're less addicted. We're more productive. We're more persistent. All the character strengths and virtues line up and we are more ethical and make better choices. It's all there in our awakened awareness. And 
that it is shared, that we speak as you, Amy, and I are doing right here now with one another to ignite this deeper form of bond and connection, to make decisions together that are more ethical. The things we co-create like families and businesses are on awakened ground, much, much very different, far more enduring structures, right? So awakened awareness and that we share in awakened relationships, awakened businesses, awakened society. That gives us a collective where we treat each other more ethically. Naturally, what will flow are you know, enter entrepreneurial decisions, policy decisions. It all will be built on a win-win as opposed to the zero-sum game type thinking of achieving awareness. Achieving awareness really holds that your piece of pie is one less for me. It's a Mm -hmm. finite game. But in awakened awareness, kerosene on the fire is the better metaphor, and the flame grows bright and hot for both of us, right? I offer kerosene for both of us, and it goes into the field of life, and everything is stronger. So the, the deep nature of life is unitive. It feels like we're so far from that right now as a society. And yet there's so much research coming out about how important it is. And that it's true. Do you know, I mean, it, 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 there is a very real structure of life that is built on the simultaneous presence of oneness and distinction and diversity that we're wonderfully each bring different things to the table and we're wonderfully different, but we're living the same life. We are the family of life and we have a deep for you to tell a story and then need to know what you mean to feel that, that deep common experience in my heart. We are one human family and we're one living being family. We're one family of life. So that form of knowing all other animals are part of this. I mean, I, I share in the awakened brain how I'm paddling down the river in a kayak and suddenly arr, arr, the geese are craning their neck, craning to their neck, go to the right, go to the right. So, I mean, the signal was so clear. I thought I better go to the right. So I follow the geese. Narrowly, I miss some huge cement impediment. I would have hit, I would have capsized. I could have been very injured. The geese saved me. They cared enough to save me. Mm. I go further down the river. There's another impediment, but no geese. I hit it. I flip. I'm in the water, kayak full, floundering. I look up and there's two people on the shore. And I think, oh, phew. They look at me. They get in their Mercedes and drive away. (laughs) So we have a lot to learn from the family of life. Mm -hmm. Everyone else is showing up for each other. And we can do the same. We can show up for each other as humans in the river, but we can also pay the geese back and do something for them. There is within all of nature, from the earth's crust up one mile, a wavelength called Schumann's resonance, right? I just had someone on when we talked about the Schumann resonance. Oh, beautiful. Beautiful. Okay. It It is the wavelength of life, right? Well, the spiritually engaged brain vibrates when we put an EEG cap on the back of the head at that wavelength. It goes by another name. It's the same wavelength of high amplitude alpha. The spiritually engaged brain vibrates at the wavelength of all creation, of all nature, of all life. So our felt awareness of oneness is mirrored in an energetic oneness identified through alpha, high amplitude alpha, which I take as a wavelength to be reflective of consciousness, of the life consciousness field. Well, and when people talk about raising your vibration, right, this is a very 
hot thing to say right now. I think like, how am I, how am I raising my vibration? How's my vibration higher? This is it. Well, yes. And yes. And, and we need to be conscious to do that. But everybody else, the deer, the ducks, our dog are already connected with alpha. So the animals, I mean, I'm sure you've seen this. This is why your dog is at the door before he or she can even hear you coming home. This is why, you know, I shared in The Awakened Brain, I saw these three little orphan deer and my heart just cried out to them. I thought, oh, how will I ever feed them? How will I ever take care of these little orphan deer? And then the next day, a mile from where I'd seen them by this terrible intersection, they showed up at my front door. So this understanding of, of all knowledge is in this loving consciousness field. We don't just create thoughts with our brain like an antenna. We detect thoughts with our brain. We can pick up information with our brain. We detect uh, thoughts. We don't create them. Wow. And we do both, but we are a little heavy handed on the creating and can do a lot more around the detecting. Animals detect all the time, which is why we don't need to give them our address. They just find us. And people have all sorts of stories of animals finding them at great distances. Well, and I, I don't know why I'm sharing this, but I'm going to. I remember why I, I went on a safari a couple years ago and I remember seeing, we saw tons of wildlife, obviously, and we saw a crocodile take down a, a wildebeest crossing the river. We, we saw the river crossing, but the, I mean, we saw um, a lion's lion kill. I mean, we saw everything, but for some reason, the, the thing that stayed with me the most was watching a wildebeest laying there dying. No one was eating it. No one was attacking it. It was just laying there. And all the other wildebeests were just surrounding it like quietly. No one was, everybody was just sort of there. And I felt, I don't know what it was. I felt like this profound sadness for this animal that was there, even though I had just seen many other animals, which I also found, felt profound sadness for. But there was just something for me about, again, I have no idea why I'm sharing this. I'm hoping you're going to like make sense of it for me um, as the therapist that you are. Um, but there was like something so profound about just watching this animal life come to an end, not in any like tragic way, but just in this like quiet way. And I felt so connected to it. It was like I could feel it's sadness. If there was sadness, I don't even know if I was projecting or whatever it was, but it just has stuck with me. So you, because you are open and feeling, right, impermeable, because you are a spiritually present woman, person, men can do it too, but you are a woman. You are in what I might call a state of unitive empathy. You know, psychology has taught us a very cut off 20th century view that we try to get in the shoes of another and think what might they be feeling, right? That is a very, that is a very hardcore materialist view that's predicated on separateness. You know, you have your feelings over there and I have mine and maybe I can crawl into your skin and try to imagine what that would be like, right? Mm -hmm. But really what you're expressing that's so moving and authentic is unit of empathy. You weren't approximating what that wildebeest must be feeling. You literally were in a unit of state experiencing the transition, mm. experiencing the pain, experiencing 
the intensity. So it wasn't just empathy. It was a unit of experience, a oneness. Mm-hmm. That's the pariah to put in the heart boundaries, actually experiencing the deep common being, the common consciousness. The consciousness isn't just information, the loving felt, you know, substance of, of existence, essence of existence. So that's, that's beautiful. And you joined the family of life. You joined the kingdom when you did that. Um, I'll share with you a story that I take to be somewhat resonant. In the book, I talk about Isaiah, my son, who, mm-hmm. the miracle, who I don't want to spoil the book, but it was quite unprobabilistic. Or, or the TED Talk, or the TED Talk. Or the TED Talk, but, but it was quite unprobabilistic that the miracle of Isaiah came into our lives. Well, Isaiah was about four, and he saw in our yard a little dead bird, frozen, frigid. And he scooped up the bird, and built what really looked very much like an Egyptian funeral pyre in miniature. You know, he laid a shoebox with big, broad leaves and placed in the middle the little bird, walked over to the river, it really it resembled the Nile, and sent the little bird down the river in the coffin. As the bird travels down the river, arrrr, arrrr, Arrr! The sky opens up and dozens and dozens of birds in unison. Arrr! Arrr! As this bird transitions from this world to the next. Hmm. So all those birds were acutely aware of the transition between this world and the next, the migration of our awareness of spirit, soul. Isaiah participated in the family of life, in the bird community. He was the one who arranged the funeral and fire and sent the bird down the river. That depth of connection is ultimate living. What you experienced on the safari is ultimate living. That's our chance of our lifetime to really come together where we show up, everyone of all, you know, all living beings, loved, seen, guided, never alone. Why are, why is this more difficult for men? to? You know, um, the data shows that women and men have this, but it is actually over 50% more common in women. So I'm not entirely sure why, and science doesn't answer entirely why, but I think there's two dimensions. The first is that um, oxytocin has a lot to do with the bonding network, and that is not a claim of biological reductionism. The point is rather that in the deep female nature, of which men have some, right, there is um, a sense that um, in life, in incarnation, in going from consciousness or spirit into form through us, through our bodies, there we join with certainly every other living being, a mama whale, a mama lion, but also the deep, really the deepest sort of axiom of life, which is to go from consciousness into matter, right? Incarnation. That's the, that is the foundational story of life on earth to go from intention and word into form. So we are part of this journey into life and men are too, but women are very immediately. And the biological markers of things like oxytocin are simply markers of how we are built to both do this and feel this and know this, you know, oxytocin affects multiple systems. Okay. That's one truth. But the other is that we all have male and female, so to speak, what I might call achieving an awakened awareness. We all have both. And there is such 
you know, there, there is a subculture among women to speak this way. When I first wrote the first essay I'd ever written for academia in a strong narrative of awakened awareness, I talked about my youngest child. Um, well, I, it was very, it was a story of synchronicity. It was really a very um, awakened perspective essay to be publishing in academia. It was about symbolic living and to, I basically was working all day in the library. I went back, I worked a second day in the library. I ran to the ladies' room real quick, went to grab my coffee and realized I'd left my essay in the ladies' room. So I run back and I'm knocking on the door and it's locked. And I knock again. I don't want to be rude. I wonder if someone's sick or maybe they're elder, you know. And finally, after about 20 minutes, this woman comes out and I said, oh, I'm so sorry to keep knocking. My essay was in there. She said, you wrote this? I said, yeah. She said, this is how I think all the time. Hmm. She had locked the bathroom door to be able to be with the thought of living in synchronicity, living in awakened awareness. Women think that way all the time. It's in female culture. And yet it is often, as we started to talk about, talked about in the ladies' room. It's talked about over coffee or around extreme moments like, you know, my father's dying. But this way of knowing is everybody's. And if, you know, I think the first wave of feminism was rights and the second was jobs. I think the third is using our voice to open up for everybody the possibility, the power, the potential of awakened decision. The locked bathroom, it should be in everything we do. Um, but it's easier for women because we do already have this culture. How, last question, how do you, do you experience spiritual bypassing in this work? at all. Like, I think that that's yeah. a really, it seems like a really big experience. I don't know that that's happening right now is that people are trying to kind of bypass or um, say they're spiritual without actually being spiritual. So what I've seen is that there's a deep authenticity. There's, there's an inevitable, a hardwired authenticity to awakened awareness. So we can't kind of, you know, um, it, it's there, right? We have it. So this is who we are. It. You can't bypass it. No, it, it's there. It's real. Yeah, <laughs> it's real. And I think what I would actually be inclined, given this opportunity that you've just raised to emphasize is that this is all of ours. And so often people suffer. They say, oh, it'd be so nice to be spiritual. I see the data. My spiritual friends look so happy. You know, they cope with things. Well, you know what? that person is spiritual. We're all born with this capacity and it is there for all of us. It's a quarter inch under the surface. And as you said, Amy, and opened up in our discussion, the very important point, if we can take as hard data, valid knowing, intuition, a synchronicity, a dream, a mystical moment, it opens up into an infinite world for us, an infinite set of surprises, of majestic new relationships, of innovations, it is the proverbial apple dropping on our head from the tree that has mm -hmm. been even through the legends of science. So this is all of ours. And I'd be much more inclined in this moment to say, honor your awakened awareness. You have an awakened brain, love it, know it, hear it. And most of all, count on your awakened brain. Well, Lisa, I'm going to open it up for questions on Fireside. But before I do that, if, if people are interested in your work, where can they find you? How can they find your work? Your new book is out now. 
Thank you, Amy. So the Awakened Brain is now out, and I'm very grateful to see people use it, yes, individually, but somewhat like the artist's way, use it in groups. When I the, the Awakened Brain is based on three things, science, personal memoir, mine and others, people who are leaders in society like Tim Shriver, who runs Special Olympics, mm-hmm. Stephen Rockefeller, who wrote the Earth Charter that every living being has rights, just like we have human rights. You know, stories of despair and depression breaking open through awakening to a life of contribution. So science, memoir, mine and others. And the third piece is based on 20 years of teaching a class at Columbia University on spiritual awakening. People come into the class and they say, I I sense something's going on, or maybe I had this experience, or I'm a hard skeptic, but it bothers me that I, I, you know, and there is a process because this is our birthright of awakening our natural capacity for transcendent awareness. And in the awakened brain are exercises, practices based on my class at Columbia of 20 years. I've seen this help so many people and it squarely maps onto the neurophysiology of what awakened awareness is. So I would suggest use the awakened brain in a small group, you know, four, six, eight, maybe 10 and share your experiences In my class at Columbia, I create journey groups, much like a sangha or minion or fellowship. And together, again, we have awakened awareness and that it should be shared allows it to be stronger, allows us to create relationships and make professional decisions and treat our kids and have a new normal that is loving and supportive and guiding of one another. So share it in a group, make a work group. And these will be friendships that you will love and cherish the rest of your life. There is a depth of bonding when we open up and share at the awakened level, whether you're talking about family or friends, that is, that is the bottom line. That is the meat and potatoes of life itself. I could not agree more. So thank you. If anybody uh, in the audience is interested in coming up and asking a question, just go ahead and raise your hand and I'll bring you up on stage to ask Lisa, Dr. Lisa question about her amazing book. I'll give it a couple seconds here. Oh, there we go. Hi, Wendy. You can go ahead. Hey, Amy. Uh, Thank you for having me up. Hello, Dr. Lisa. This is, this is. Hi, Wendy. Nice to meet you. (laughs) Thank you. Nice, nice to, um, get up in the morning and drop into fireside and listen to something so powerful like this session. It's just beautiful. Thank you. Um, I think, I don't know if I have a question, but I have a little bit of um, a comment. Not, I don't know what I have, but here goes. <laughs> <laughs> just go um, for it. So this is going to sound weird to everybody in the audience, but I'm just going to be very upfront. Um, I'm, a, I'm extremely intuitive and um, I've had many, many instances in my life that I've gone through, you know, severe health problems and things like that uh, and very, very difficult situations, right? And I always, I never knew, and now I'm understanding since listening to you guys, I know I was very uh, connected spiritually, right? Um, but never really understanding it. And uh, I do, I don't know if you think this is weird, but you probably won't. You're going to give me an explanation. I absolutely, 100 million, billion percent, I see faces in the clouds. 
So, and I see them very distinctly. And <laughs> I see them to the point where sometimes I say to myself, okay, am I going crazy? But they're there. And it's a beautiful thing for me to experience. And I also am so, I'm a Pisces. I'm a super connected to nature. And I, and I often, you know, I just feel it. <laughs> I'm not that connected to animals, but I'm extremely connected to nature. Well, animals in a respect that dogs and cats and things like that, but butterflies, hummingbirds. Um, uh, oh, my goodness. I have a gigantic backyard and it's like I feel like I'm snow white back there with all of the, mm. you know, the, you know, the elements that come to embrace me. And that's how I find my peace. This is how I get through all of my tribulations in life is just really knowing um, that today is today. And I am doing everything that I feel I need to be doing and not to, not to get too much inside of myself because, um, you know, it's, it's, life is very, very difficult. But if you really hold on to that one truth that you're connected, you know, somehow, then that's what guides me and always has. So I don't know. I wanted to share that. And that's why I wanted to come up on stage. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. And I think, I don't know, Lisa, if you have anything to say to that, but I think what I, one of the things that I've, I'm finding is everybody sort of has their own spiritual I, superpower or whatever you want to call it. I sort of think of it as like a specialty area. Like they have a way of connecting just like we're psychologists and other people are lawyers and bankers and trainers and like people have things that they're more pulled to than others. And I'm finding that more and more in my own work. Like I'm, there's certain things that really resonate with me in the spiritual space and other things that don't resonate with me as much. Um, And that doesn't mean I'm not spiritual. It just means I'm how I understand this work is different than how someone else does. So Wendy, I want to tell you that you are living an awakened life. Your image of Snow White in the garden, where you feed fellow living beings and you're in relationship with little squirrels and trees and plants. And this notion that you are in relationship with the deep consciousness, with the spirit in and through all life, that is an awakened life that you lead. And it's beautiful. And that is how we need to live collectively to have what we are calling sustainability, right? What really is going to bring us to sustainability is not just respecting nature or regarding nature or saying that nature is beautiful, but it's being in a deeply felt relationship where we learn from fellow living beings, where we care for fellow living beings, a relationship. And you're a part of the family of life. You're living in the wave of alpha. That is alpha living, awakened living. It is magnificent. And yes, when you do that, when you have love of neighbor, whether it's the homeless guy or your spouse or the squirrel, you boot up the neural correlates of the awakened brain at large and are more given to transcendent awareness, such as you shared. Your experience, your mystical experience is beautiful. And if you ever have a real hard-nosed doubter that you want to throw you know, bring in with love and then also convince with data, you might share that the difference between a mystical experience is that it it feels just as you described, which is loving, which is wonderful, which is awe-inspiring. Whereas a psychotic experience is egodystonic. It feels awful. It feels 
nasty and it brings out our worst selves, right? So you're talking about a beautiful, mystical experience. The more you care for animals, the more the awakened brain boots up, the more you see the transcendent truth and vice versa. Thank you. Thank you so much. Can I ask you uh, just one little other question about um, when I first jumped in, you guys were talking about, you know, you like uh, the, the problems you had with earlier and it just was not the right time, right? The universe or the energy, whatever was telling us says just not the right time. 10 minutes later was the right time. Five minutes later was the right time. So when we're sitting down and I'm sitting down and I, you know, I have been struggling with this one content and for some reason I just cannot finish it. It's not that I don't have the time. It's not that I don't, it's not that it's not good, but for something is stopping me from actually like finishing it, right? Do you have any words of wisdom uh, about something like that? Is it just not the right time? Am I being told, you know what, put that on the side. It's not the right time. Go focus on something else, which is what I end up doing usually um, because I'm trying to listen to what's happening in my, in my world, you know, what do you, what do you say about that? If I might ask? Do you want to do a practice? Should we do a practice? Sure. Does that work? Sure. Sure. A visual, spiritual visualization. Res- respectful of your time because I know you had to hop off. I'm, I'm okay. I have another okay. good solid five minutes if that works. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And we have yeah. one more question too. So. Okay. Good. Perfect. Um, so, okay. So Wendy, there's um, in the awakened brain. I share a few practices. I'm going to do one right now, given what else you've shared about your life. Okay. Um, I'm going to invite you to take five breaths, close your eyes, clear out your inner space and invite and everybody can do this, right? Absolutely. There, okay. This is in the language of life. And of course, it's always an invitation, never a prescription, right? If it feels right in your own inner wisdom, this invitation. Um, and I'm going to share an exercise with you, a practice, really, I consider it a sacred practice that was taught to me by, I always say, the source of my teachers, Dr. Gary Weaver. I can tell you more about him later. Okay, so spiritual visualization, five breaths, clear out your inner space. I invite you to set before you a table. This is your table. And to your table, you may invite anyone, living or deceased, who truly has your best interest in mind. Anyone, living or deceased, who truly has your best interest in mind. And with them all sitting there, ask them if they love you. And now you may invite your higher self, your true self, much more than anything you've done or not done, anything you have or don't have, your true eternal higher self, and ask you if you love you. And now finally, you may invite your higher power, however you know, whatever words you may use, your higher power and ask your higher power if they love you. And now with all of those people sitting there right now, what do they need to tell you? What do they need to share? What do you need to know? 
right now. Am I supposed to answer you? If you choose to share, that's up to you. But this is your counsel, and they are always there for you. And if you choose to share, you're welcome. Thank you. I don't. I, I really don't choose to share. I, okay, good. Which is very important that you know this is your inner chamber. That's right. Now, your counsel is always there. Who shows up may change based on where you are in your path and what you ask them can be what is pressing on your heart. This is your awakened awareness, your docking station of transcendent relationship to your higher power, the spirit in and through us, and your true eternal self. Thank you. Thank you, Thank you so much, Wendy. And just for those who are listening right now and who might have tuned in at the end, uh, this is not, you are at Yale, right? You were well, I'm a professor at, at Columbia. At, yeah. you were I graduated Columbia from now, yeah. right? <laughs> so this is, and this is all science-based. So oh, yes. This is not no. like some hooey-wooey out there um, practice. And this is based on the neural correlates, the docking station, if you will, of transcendent awareness, as identified through our fMRI studies in really over 10 years of, of work. Yes. So there, there you have it. Um, okay, one more question, PJ. Hi, thanks for taking my question. Um, this is all fascinating and I'm loving it. And I have a question about kids. I feel like the kind of life you're describing comes absolutely natural to little kids. Um, and what can we do as adults around kids in our society to help them evolve and grow kind of in this way to help them, you know, uh, develop their awakened brain versus uh, sort of shrinking as they age. Fantastic. Incredibly important point. So indeed, a child does see, feel, and know with full use of his or her awakened brain. They see into the deeper nature of life. And whether implicitly or explicitly, messaged through centerfield culture, messaged through K-12 school, is that is not real or that is not important or we don't talk about that. So much so that it often doesn't even come into focus, nor is it given a name, the seat of their transcendent awareness. Awakened awareness is left to lay fallow and by way of analogy, as you suggest, atrophies like a muscle. But indeed, we can be. This is one-third innate, two-thirds socialized. We can show up as parents and teachers and cultivate awakened awareness starting very young so that it's never lost, so that we are nurturing natural awareness and it never is lost. And we can do that first and foremost. First and foremost, we can support natural awakened awareness in children by regarding with great interest their stories, their tellings that are shared from the seat of transcendent relationships. So many children will talk about seeing an ancestor or they'll talk about feeling God's presence or they'll just love to pray or sing. Or some children will talk about just direct knowing. Mommy, one mother told me, we're going to a birthday party. There'll be an alligator there. 
well, that's quite improbabilistic, far too improbabilistic to have happened by chance that when they showed up, there was an alligator there and there was no other way the child would have known. So this form of direct knowing, intuition, mystical experiences, when children share from their seat of awakened awareness, as parents, we can say, wow, isn't that wonderful how you knew that directly? Give it language. Isn't that wonderful? I know how much grandma loved you, that you could even feel and see her last night. Isn't that wonderful? And give it words, give it language, give it a language that in your own heart feels true and honest and sacred. So you are enormously powerful. The child is awakened. Their brain is being pruned and myelinated through the first two decades. It grows, it's pruned, it's carved through the first two decades of life. And what we say is real locks in at the level of brain formation as allowing them to see and know that it is real. This is tremendously important as parents. The other thing we can do, if I might, one other point is that because you sound like an awakened woman, and I know Amy is an awakened woman, and they're awakened She's my person. This is my person. I can tell. She's upset with me for saying that, but she is my, (laughs) she's my everything, PJ. Beautiful, beautiful. So when we speak transparently to children in the first person of our own awakened experiences, they are riveted because of course this cuts to the very germ of life. This is the heart in living. So when you share a dream that you take seriously and use to grow, use to make decisions, use to understand the greater nature of your own life and the people around you, tell the dream and tell what it means. When you have a synchronicity, they say, wow, isn't that remarkable? Way too probabilistic to have happened by chance. What a beautiful gift, the synchronicity. I was just talking to you about songbirds and here right in the front yard are four songbirds. Let's throw that to our inner life and see what that might mean. Give them the opportunity through your experience, through your transparency and voice to both see you walk the walk, but also talk the walk, run a narrative on your own awakened awareness. Even oh, that's when wonderful. Even when Thank your you. 15-year-old daughter makes fun of you for doing it. Absolutely. <laughs> even more so. I promise you, it gets in. And even if there's a big scene about how far out we are as moms, right? In her private moment, she is doing the practice that she's seen you do a hundred times. In her quiet, secret moment with friends, she's revealing her own spiritual experience. When we look through science to see how teens relate to one another, they're actually as secretive as they may feel, recapitulating the way that we as parents reveal ourselves to them. Wow. Well... Lisa, thank you for your extra time today for getting this all set up. And thank you, everybody in the Fireside Studio for listening and participating and being a part of this conversation. I'm so grateful for your time, for your knowledge, for this amazing book that everybody should buy and read and highlight like I did because I've got pages and pages of Kindle notes on this book. So thank you so much. Dr. Amy, it's been a joy to connect. And thank you for your show. This is a wonderful way to bring people into a spiritual common ground to awaken society. You are creating our awakened society. Thank you. Thanks, everybody. Like what you heard today and want to hear more? Wondering what comes next and what it all means? Head over to Apple Podcast, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, or anywhere you get your podcasts and hit subscribe. 
Also, if you could take a minute to rate and review my podcast, I would really appreciate it. Stay tuned as we continue to explore life, death, and the space between.